When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on jewishcoffeehouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Thanks so much for tuning back in again. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please keep referring clients to me for their podcasting needs. Please join the conversation in the WhatsApp group. Make it lively and interesting and be respectful. And that is all for the announcements for this week. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today we have with us a guest who will be sharing her personal experiences about finances in the Jewish nonprofit sector and having to pay for a Jewish life. So without any further ado, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Let's get started and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your religious background, and we'll take it from there. I grew up religious, went through my own journey as a teen, but really we got to the point where I was passionate about sharing Judaism with other people. And when I got married, I met my husband. And while we were dating, we discovered that he was also something that he was passionate about, that he wanted to go out there and teach Jews. And we got married, moved to Israel, lived there for a couple of years. And then we lived in a few different cities. We we took a leadership training course that was like a two-year leadership training course where you did two years and you made a commitment to help in a smaller Jewish community outside of Israel for at least two years. We have now been in the nonprofit world for, I believe, 17 years. So it's been a long two years. At, at the same time, we thank God to burn our family and we have eight kids. It's been really an interesting journey being able to balance living in the, in the nonprofit world together with having a large family and having all the expenses of a large family and a from lifestyle. So let's break it down. What does the price tag of a from lifestyle mean? So that that is really, really a great question. And and I, I do think it depends on where you're living, right? Because things like, for example, tuition for school varies depending on where you're living. There are some places where tuition is, is exorbitant, but there are other places where it's much more manageable. I'll share with you what our perspective has been on it. So I think generally, I'll talk about the, the from nonprofit world, is very often the nonprofit world is they're struggling for finances. So they're not paying you on the level that you would get paid at, as a professional in a different field. And there is sort of this feeling that you're coming in, and it's true for most people, you're coming in with a passion and you're coming in because you want to make a difference. You want to do something. For us, in our case, it's education. We're passionate about Torah education. We're passionate about relevant Torah education. And it's not a nine to five job so that you can do nine to five. And if you put in overtime, you get overtime paid. It kind of becomes becomes your life. And meanwhile, there are expenses. And, and what we've also discovered is that Thank God we have eight kids. My oldest is 18. Is As the kids get older, the expenses grow. So if you're to to comparing a family of, let's say, five, six kids versus a family of, let's say, two or three kids, already your expenses are doubled. Kosher food is expensive. 
Shabbos and Yom Tov is expensive. And then you you want, again, depending on, on the pressure, we happen to not have lived in a community with a lot of like pressure to for your kids to look a certain way, for you to look a certain way. But there are still things that are more expensive because you can't just go in and buy, you know, if you're, if you're buying modest clothing, it is more expensive. You, you're buying clothing for your kids. You want them to, if you're, you know, dress modestly and you want them to feel great about it. So there is all the those expenses that crop up this summer expenses as well if, if you're sending your kids to camp which i'm not sure if that is a specifically from expense but it's it's an expense with a large family and for one other thing is is that looking forward is you know we look at please god we have eight kids right so we're going to have bar and bat mitzvahs that we're going to want to do we're going to have weddings i'd love to be in the position to help my children for the first you know few years to 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 sort of establish themselves in life so it's all that also that and it's not just times two but it's times eight Right. So it's all that as well that I think just contributes to the cost of it. And what about tuition? Clearly, you have an accent. <laughs> I can't voice alter that. So, yeah, tuition is, is a very it's a very good one. And I think, again, that's what I was saying. Like we lived when we were paying tuition, we lived for 10 years in Canada and tuition there is exorbitant. And we were looking at, at somewhere, I think like it was probably like my kids were in primary school at the time. It was something like. $11,000 per child, like full tuition for our kids at that point when we had a smaller family and our kids were younger, was probably one salary if we were paying full tuition. Because we were living in a smaller community, they were more willing to work with us. So that's why I do think tuition tu tuition varies. We happen to now live in the UK. Now, the UK is very interesting in that because the UK has the schools, a lot of the, the Jewish schools are funded and, and what they have is is that legally they're not allowed to charge you. They they they're funded for the secular department, but the, the Kurdish department, the Jewish studies department is not. But they, they're only allowed to ask you for voluntary contributions. So it's it's a very interesting so firstly you're starting off at a much lower cost. And secondly, like a school can't really turn around to you and say we're not going to take your child if you don't pay. But on the other hand, they have to pay the bills and they will put pressure on parents to do it. The flip side of the UK is that salaries are much lower right, than North America. So, so what you're bringing in is, is much lower than what you're, you're bringing in in North America. And again, this, is, this, this has been our experience when we lived in Canada versus when we lived in North America. And just to clarify, when you say funded, you mean state slash government funded? Yes, yes, government funded, yeah. Now that we've established that, let's move on to the perspective change or the shift that happened from what you thought it'd be like, or maybe you didn't think about it at all, to what you've learned and why we're doing this episode, essentially, what we like to teach or share with everyone that you have learned? It's a really, really great question. And the truth is, we probably didn't think about it that much because, I mean, you when we started anyway, we went into it with a dream and a, and a passion. And, you know, at that point, when we, when we started our Jewish outreach, we were a young couple, we had one kid. But the truth is, I mean, as soon as we got married, we, we you know, my husband was learning in Kona. So already from there, we were living on, you, you could say the from, the from financial experience. Right? We were living in Israel. We had minimal, minimal support from parents. So we really were self-sufficient. I was very lucky that I had skills. I was a graphic designer, so I could work and, and support ourselves while my husband was in, in Kodal. So from the beginning, it was never, a, you know, this is what's going to be. It was always like, 
this is what we want to do. Let's see what happens. I think there are two kind of things that that became apparent to me. And one is a difficulty and one is a something that I don't know what the right words for it is, but like how it works kind of thing. So one of the things I think that we notice is, and this is something that I think as it happens, you become more aware of it. And as you become more aware of it, you become more sensitive. Is that really... We're told that Rosh Hashanah and Hashem decides how much money we're going to have and Hashem is going to support us. And we something that we really, really, really did notice is that, you know, there are times where, where, like, you can make the same amount of money every single month, but the money doesn't go the same place every single month. And and the flip side is is different, right? Like, sometimes you have crazy expenses and some somehow you manage to make it work. And, and we really have felt and seen the hands of Hashem in this. And there's there's that faith, I think, really in it, which I'll, I'll share with you a, a story. We were living in Germany and I was pregnant with my second child at the time. And I was I was working for a UK company, but I didn't know if I was going to be eligible for mat leave for maternity pay from England because I wasn't living in England at the time. So I thought, you know what, I'll I'll apply, and I will, and if you know if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. So I applied. I never heard back from them, and I thought, okay, fine, whatever. We're not we're not eligible for it. Meanwhile, when she was about nine months old, we moved to Western Canada. We were living there for about a year. A year and a half or so, and my older one, who was about three at the time, started school, and we had to make a decision about how much we could give towards the school. And we gave, we made a decision of, of how much we were going to give in terms of charity to the school. And we got a letter from randomly from from the UK Maternity Allowance Department to our our Canadian address. I have no idea to this day how they found our address, and basically they said that. For some reason, your application got lost in the system. We've just found it. We've just processed it, and we are transferring the money, the full amount for for the in England. It's it's nine months for the full the full amount of nine months, and it was the maternity allowance that we were paid was almost dollar for dollar, dollar for pound, whatever, the same amount as what we had given to charity. And I think it's something that like when something like that happens for us, it was like wow, that's amazing, that's crazy. But we don't we've seen it quite often. When you say we were going to give to charity, are you referring to charity as the tuition bill for your child, or that? That was extra in addition. So that's a very good question. And it was, we're talking about 15 years ago. So I don't remember if it was tuition or if it was like some schools have like a capital fund that, that you, you give to. So I don't remember which one of the two it was. So do you have some more examples of stories where money has come in at the right time? Yes. I happen not to be a terribly materialistic. I've always been a frugal person. But the hardest thing I think for me is not being able to afford what I want for my kids. And we had a situation recently where I had a number of kids that had medical expenses that were above and beyond. And they came out of nowhere. It was it was something that we we're going to have to pay for. It wasn't something that was covered. We'd have to go private on it. And it was huge. We're talking about, you know, thousands, thousands of pounds. And my feeling and my attitude towards it was like, you know what? This this is for my kids, right? It's not like I'm asking to go on a holiday to Hawaii or something like that. This is this is for my kids. I'm not holding back. I'm going to pay for what they need. I'm going to get them the services that they need because they need it. And you know, Hashem, it's Hashem, Hashem will sort of 
figure it out for us. And But it was very stressful. I've got to be real and honest and tell you, it was stressful because, you know, when you see the bills coming in, the money going out and, you know, you're, whatever, you, you see the impact on your bank account, it's stressful. And long story short, but we had a crazy situation where someone gifted us a gift that, again, almost dollar for pound covered the cost of those medical expenses. And, and, and to me, it was like such a, like, wow. You know, it's like such a wild moment because I don't know if I'm right about this or wrong or not about this, but my philosophy really is that if I'm paying for something for my kids for what they need, Hashem will take care of it. And to me, that that happened. Like, you know, we 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 paid for our kids and we're continuing to pay for our kids' needs and Hashem has taken care of paying those bills. I think another way where we've also seen that is is in terms of growing our family, like a question I often get is like, how do you do it? Like, you know, you have two kids, you have three kids, but you're like, you have eight kids, right? Like, how do you financially do it? And always like this, I think with every single, almost every single child, there's been like a little thing that's happened that that's influenced our finances, that's sort of made it work. Talk to me about any religious experiences or has there been any resentment or rock bottom moments religiously? Because of, you know, this catch-22 situation where to get more bracha, the way we're trained to think is you have more children, it comes with more bracha and more parnasa to cover them. Have you struggled in that way? Till now, you told us how it has been working out. So tell me, right. <laughs> has it not worked out? I want to say that, that, you know, I've said the stories that have worked out, but I want, I, I want to be very clear that this it's stressful. Right. And and I also want to be I want to talk about stress and then I want to talk about something else about it. Is that like, for example, when when I when I was talking about this the story about our kids' medical expenses, right? It wasn't that I just suddenly woke up and said, like, you know, okay, I'm gonna pay for anything. It was it was a journey to get to that. When we first were presented with these two, you know, children's needs and these two, you know, massive, massive bills that we we could foresee coming up, it was like, what are we gonna do? Like, what are we gonna do? We can't really afford it. But I, I can't to be in a situation where you feel like you can't give your kids what what you need, it's it's awful. It's it's just Are an you awful, awful thing. Able to go a little bit into more detail, what type of care they needed? It sounds like you had an option to give it or not to give it. So that's what I'm trying to. Yes. I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking in terms of needs of therapy and and you know things that. That you you do have an option between let's say because I live in, in the UK where you can get things under the NHS which is the government thing but the wait list is is awful so you could in theory wait but that comes with a cost right because if you're leaving the child who needs help for something for a year a year and a half on a waiting list that comes with a cost of of it's not a financial cost but it's a health cost so so there was a question of like do we do it or do we not and at the end of the day I felt like. I, it was a journey to get to that place where I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. And like, whatever. And, and, and it's a journey of getting to a place where I trust and, you know, I trust Hashem that you'll, you'll take care of it. And, and even once we started that journey, we didn't get that thing for, for I think, six months or whatever. So there's six months of not knowing where it will. And I'll, I'll share with you another story that I recently has. Again, like what I'm trying to say here is that it's very easy to sit back and look back and say, you know, have faith. But first, it keeps you up at night. Secondly, like, it's a journey to get to that place where you kind of say faith. And, and the journey is a very good journey. And I'll explain to you why. So I've just, I've just written a book. 
So I have, have a podcast and on my podcast, I went through Pirkavot and I did it in a way that's very relatable to young Jews nowadays and into our lives. So I compiled that into a book and I, I just signed a contract with the publisher. Now, the way it works in nowadays is to publish a book is very expensive. So the way it's generally done is people, is people sponsor it. So I, when I finished writing the book, I didn't want to ask before, like when I was in the process of writing the book, how much it would cost, because I was like, if I, if I find out how much it's going to cost, I'm, I'm just going to give up. So I wrote the book and then I finished it. And then I found out how much it was. And, and I was like, you know what? I, I, every, I remember every single night I would, uh, before I went to sleep, I would say, you know, Hashem, you can make, you can, if you want this book to happen, you can find the money for it. Right. And, and I think what that process also helps you do or helps me do anyway, is to clarify the motivation. Because if I'm going to turn around to Hashem and say, Hashem, you know, I need whatever it is for this book, then then I have to be honest with myself. Why am I writing that book? Is it really true that I'm writing it because I want to spread awareness? I want to spread inspiration? Or am I writing it just to get my name on the front of a cover? Right? And I think it's the same thing with, with, when it comes to our kids. It's like it, that process of like, why? Why do I need this? Is it because I'm, you know, what the neighbors are going to say? Or is it because I really truly believe that my kids are, go- are going to do it? Is it because it's the easy way out? It's it's a it's a process and a journey, and that process and that journey can take you to a place where you clarify. Where I talk about myself, I clarify my why much more, and that clarification of my why is is a connection to God. So it is it is a relationship. It's a relationship, and it's a trust, and it's not it's not smooth. Tell me some of the things are, or what are the buckets of money that poured into your life at the right time, besides for the maternity leave from the UK and a gift from your friend? I think this is this is where where my second part of it comes into. And we've spoken about the faith, and, and, I, and I'm going to talk about. I think you got to be real. You got to different status, right? And I think when we look at it that way, is is number one. There's there's in terms of of being sensible with your finances, right? Like you got to, you got to sort of know what your finances are. You got to see if there's things you can do on the side, but there's also in terms of valuing yourself. And I think this is something that for me has been, I think this is something that's quite common in in the nonprofit world is that there seems to be like a disconnect between like, I'm in it because I believe in it and I want to do it. But on the other hand, you know, I've got bills to pay. And like, for me, it's been a journey to turn around and say, hold on a second. You know what? Actually, I deserve to get paid as a professional. And and it's something that I've had as, I mean, I think as a Jewish out, outreach nonprofit, but also in the nonprofit world, but also as a woman, you know, if you add that in as well, like Jewish women in the nonprofit world do not get paid what they, what they should be paid. And it's something that I have in every position, I've had to like fight for it and say like, and it's come from a place of, of we needed to pay our bills. And therefore, you know, I'll I'll turn around and say, look, I I need, I need to be paid for X, Y, Z. But it's also come to a place where now I'm like, it's interesting because I'm an educator. So I get calls the whole time, ask people asking me to give a talk, right? Now, most people, when they ask a Jewish educator, a Jewish speaker to speak, they don't, especially if it's a local thing, they don't really expect to pay you. If they do expect to pay you, they don't expect to pay you like what you, what, you know. Whereas if it was a professional, if I was an accountant and someone was calling me up and asking me to do accounts for an organization or accounts for a school or something, they, there is that expectation. Of course you pay. And I, I do think that change happens by us making those changes and by us 
championing for those changes. And I think that there's a championing that has to happen on, on a individual level, both men and women. And I think women have to fight for it even a little bit harder than men because the reality is on a communal level, we are seeing this. Like when it comes to a certain stage in life and you have kids, your kids are older. You want to send them to camp. You want to send them to, to seminary yeshiva. You want, to, you want to give them the options, the things that, that we want to give them. And if you're, because you're in the non-profit Jewish world, you can't afford it. Then, and, and a lot of these people are talented and driven and bright and passionate. They're leaving, which is such a shame for us as a community because they're, they're leaving their non-profit to go into the for-profit world and they're, they're doing fantastically at business. But we then as a community are suffering because where are the brightest and best? And I think, I think we see this a lot in, in the education world. Like we don't value our teachers, our educators enough. And then we have a shortfall of, of dedicated, talented educators right so we've got we've got to invest in what our priorities are if our priorities are our kids and our community then we have to pay those who are looking after our community and our kids it goes back to our teacher shortage episode that we did as well as orthodox conundrum covered this on two separate episodes so this is a topic of in itself Mm -hmm. where as a community do we place our values and money and it's definitely very complex and deserves a lot of attention. I want to know, as somebody who is an educator and in a position of influence, it's a two-tier question. Do you regret this life choice for yourself and your family? And how can you promote it to other people when you know how hard this life is going to be? Those are really, really brilliant questions. The first question is, no, I do not regret it at all. And I'll, t- I'll tell you why. It goes back to, I do believe that our money comes to us. And there are people that struggle in business. There are people that have worked hours and hours and hours and struggle. They struggle to make ends meet. They have costs that are crazy. And like we really have seen that Hashem has taken care of us. My standards are not particularly high, but we have like we have one car and it's it's not a great car, but but we have a car. But we are able to afford what we need to do. And, and thank God, like we do feel like Hashem has given us what we need. Before we left Canada to come to the UK, we had investments that enabled us to buy a house that is fantastic for our family. I don't regret it, number one, because I, I feel like Hashem is taken care of us. And number two, I feel like what it's brought to my life is a whole it is is so much more like forget about even if you want to forget about the impact that I've had on others and the good that as family we have offered to others it's given my life a meaning that I don't think I would have gotten just working in a regular whatever nine to five whatever job job it is and and I don't I don't think the two have to be at odds you don't have to I, I, I wish there'd come to a time in our community where the two are not at odds, where you can do meaningful work and be compensated appropriately for it. But I think for, for ourselves, right, like I, I do not regret it. I think the process has been good for, for me. Like the process of the, the knowing my why. I'll even go through through this this book, right, when I wrote my book and, and when I had to fundraise for, to get sponsors for the book. That process of it, it's so easy to get our ego 
like involved in these projects that when you sort of have to take a step back and say, you know what, I have to ask Hashem to help me fund this. Like I have to make sure that my headspace is in the right place, like my heart's in the right place, my motivation's in the right place. And I think it's the same thing the whole time. If I'm asking Hashem to help me fund my lifestyle, if I'm asking, that process makes us so much, it, it clarifies our why and it keeps us, I think, connected to the life that we really want to live. So I don't regret it at all in terms of promoting it to other people it's a very very good question look if i don't regret it i would promote it and i would promote it and i would tell people that you've got to go into it knowing that number one you have to work on your relationship with hashem you have to work on your faith you have to work on your relationship with hashem the second thing is you have to go into it with your eyes wide open right you have to have you have to do your standards you have to negotiate when you're when you're negotiating a contract negotiate if you are employed as a couple negotiate that separately if the wife is expected to do things as part of it then she should be compensated like i don't think you should just go in with your eyes closed and maybe the correct answer is you should and i'm just not on that high enough level but I think you've got to do it and you also got to look at it in a way that you can you can start saving so that you can save for your kids later down the line you can save you know you can save for holidays and you have to also live a life that you're happy with so you need to and especially I, I found like for, for us right maybe this is another question another way that the money's sort of covered is because we we are in, in the communal eye right and we do so much hosting on Shabbos and Yom Tov right family holidays for us are so important and it's very very important that we go away as a family and we have time off and, and, and we connect and it's something that it's expensive but it's something that we decide that we it's a priority and we have to we have to pay for it it's intentional that this is something that we need as a family and i'm going to put it down as a need because it's something that i believe for my kids for the health of our family we need and therefore we'll budget for it we'll save for it we'll pray for it and we'll make it happen if it's something you're passionate about Go for it because it's it brings so much joy, meaning, depth to your life. And money financially, people struggle anyway. They struggle on every single sector. Like, let's not be, for a lot of people, finances are a struggle. But when you have sort of your priorities and you kind of budget in, in a way and you also look around at things that you can do, investments that you can grow your your portfolio, be smart with your money, get that advice and, and be smart with your contract negotiations or whatever it is and work on your faith. So, yeah. Let me take this even deeper, one step further. Is this what you're telling your children how to choose what they're going to do and what age they should be thinking about marriage and how big their families should be. And do you want them to understand what it means to have a bigger family? Or are you raising them in a way where Hashem takes care of everything and don't think into those kinds of decisions? Because as a community, we don't promote planning families and thinking about the future so much, especially boys. So how are you raising your kids? You've raised two points, and and one I think is connected, and one I think I look at it slightly different. But in terms of like what they should do for their lives, I very much want my kids to find what their strength is, and it's, it's interesting because I've got one kid, I've got a couple of older kids. One kid is is like not really thinking about the future. One kid is like always talking about the future. And for the kid that's always talking about the future and like she's, you know, always talking about what should I do, what should I do? I'm always like, what are your talents and what can you bring to the world? 
And that's what I feel like people shouldn't do. I don't think there's one size answer. It's at the end of the day, Hashem has made us all differently and everyone has a different thing to bring to the community, but it's not just about money. Happiness, the research shows that above, okay, below a certain level, money does impact. If you can't make ends meet, yes, it's stressful. Yes, absolutely. Once you get a certain level of money, it's it's not money isn't happiness at the end of the day. And and fulfillment and finding what you can offer to the world and how you can fill your unique potential is is what brings a person's happiness. So so I'm very much I, I believe that that should be a, a person's focus, with obviously the eye to do it. In terms of family planning, I look at it a little bit differently. Because I look at it family planning is I I I I don't really, I mean, I actually do talk to my kids about this, but I don't look at it as in this is how many kids you should have. I look at it as in the priority has to be a healthy family. So if for a family, that's one child, that's what it has to be. If you can have more, then great. But the priority has to be a healthy family. And and that's more like what 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 are the health of the parents like? What are the other needs of the siblings? The health of the family is paramount. The finances, I believe, work out. I do believe the finances of it when you're looking into can I afford another child or not? I believe the finances will work out, but I don't think that it's not a question. The question is, can I responsibly bring another child into this world? and care for it and the caring is is the emotional needs the physical needs the health of the family like that's a whole different question so you are raising awareness around this topic and these thoughts in your family which is beautiful thank you for sharing that so and we're doing this episode and you're coming from a place of strength empowerment and this is all great and absolutely fantastic but if you had to go into a moment in your life right now what would you say you are currently stressed about how you're going to pay for the next thing? And I'm not talking about a hypothetical thing, unless you have someone getting aged tomorrow. <laughs> so I understand weddings and supporting married children is something you're thinking about. But is there something right now? And how do you deal with it when you're in that stressful moment? Look, I, I think you're raising a very good question. And, and there's a financial I don't know what you want to call it, crisis, cost of living increases, like it's happening. Like everything is going up and up and up. And I think on a global level, costs are increasing on a personal level. Like, as I said, our family grows up. So is there a stress of how we can afford to live? Absolutely. It's a very, very real stress. Like everything is going up. Food is going up. Let me rephrase. Um, um, Let me rephrase. A lot of the things you've mentioned were needing to start therapy and so is there something that's coming up right now i would like to illustrate or have you describe is what what's the process for you what are the thoughts that come to your head or do you go to hashem will take care of it right away you take a few deep breaths and then somehow the money appears and you know six months later as long as that's your thought process or can you take me through a moment of when you feel desperate so I'll, I'll talk you through, I'll talk you through, and I, I really do think it's a two-pronged approach. Costs are going up, and with an eye, we, you know, we always kind of look with an eye to the future, because I think, you know, you've got to plan ahead for these things. The cost right now, if if we're worried, for example, right now, that what we're bringing in isn't going to cover it. So what we're doing is we're doing, like, a couple of things. Number one is is how can we raise our income? 
what can we do? Is is it something we can do on the side? Is it is it you know a business we can develop on on the side, or is is it something we can do on the side? Or is it looking at at the contract and and you know what practical steps can we take to raise that money that we need? So give me an example. What's something you would do? I would look at starting a business on the side. Is that something you're doing right now, or that's hypothetical? <laughs> no, it's something that we are doing at the moment. It's also talking to your current boss and see, like, there have been times where we've spoken to our current employers, but I think it gets to a certain point where you have to know how far your your current employers will provide for you. It depends on a lot of things, but to do something on the side, I think, is something that, that is an extra way to bring in income. Well, just a side thought that comes up with doing things on the side is very often it can interfere with your full-time or more than full-time obligations because... Your full-time obligations fall onto the weekends and onto Shabbos and onto all kinds of things. And once you start delving into new endeavors, it will cut into the other responsibilities that you're being paid to do. Yeah. No, I agree with you. The answer is create more money. <laughs> create more money because we're creating all of this opportunity and life. And we believe in this life and lifestyle and everything that comes with it you do your ishtadlas right and also i think like it's it's the intentional about about what's my priority at the end of the day my priority is to look after my family and if that i can do less overtime for for my whatever passion then then because i have to do something else i mean if you can do something that that brings in more money whatever but if you if you have to you have to we all have certain limits that we can do right so if you you know some for some people they can only i don't know do something and and it, it's it's like a little you know sometimes you have to leave work only because you need to go to look after your child or your kids sick or you have to you know whatever we, we don't we don't question that like of course our family my family's my priority so i'll do that so i think the same thing here if, if i have to do less of the of the passion stuff as i get older then have to have to and that, and that i think where, where you know comes into where, where we sort of like the faith and the asking asking Hashem to help us like to make the money through what we're doing so that we don't have to take so much away but i, I look at it as like it is a privilege it is a privilege to be able to to make money through something that i'm so passionate about so if i'm gonna have to cut that down to less because i'm doing extra to bring in things then that's what it is but at the end of the day us looking after our family is the priority so this has been such an enlightening conversation. I want to <laughs> wrap up by saying that, you know, as we move through life, in the beginning, we think about what do we want to do? Where are our strengths, as you said, and how do we make that into what we want to do? Then we create families, and then the priority becomes how do we sustain a healthy, wholesome family? And that becomes Absolutely. the priority overriding our idealism, passion, strengths, talents, and fulfillment it transfers into building legacy through children and and growing your family and focusing on their wellness and being now once you bring a child into the world your responsibility is to provide for that child so i am not sure if that's a clear statement in many from communities slash families i think <laughs> a 19 year old young woman who gets pregnant in the night of her wedding and has a baby nine months later doesn't realize that that's her financial responsibility. First of all, she might not know what it even costs 
because when you're at the supermarket and you see five ninety five on a little pack of ten diapers, <laughs> and you think, okay, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, not realizing how much you actually need of every item and how many items you need, and how every three months those items change to you know, eventually being tablets or bicycles or whatever it is. I don't think they understand what it is or that it is their responsibility. There's so many people. When they're asking for their tuition breaks, when they go and plead to the administration, it's the community's responsibility. You got me into this mess. There's this, in, not entitlement, but desperation of, no, it was not clear that our children are our financial responsibility. This is a communal responsibility because this is what we promote to kids who don't yet have a fully developed brain who haven't supported themselves before they started bringing kids into the family. And not talking about 19-year-olds marrying 30-year-olds. We're talking about 19-year-olds marrying 21-year-olds. And maybe I'm naive with this, but I don't think financial, like the, our responsibility to our children financially is any different than our, our responsibility to our children overall, emotionally, physically, whatever, right? It's a huge responsibility in every area. And yeah, I think for most parents, we we have kids and, and we don't really know what we're getting ourselves into, right? You know, like, do we realize that? I know, we, but you're we... expected to know how to dress yourself or you're, you're toilet trained. You're, you know, you have certain things and here you are not knowing what it means to pay your own bills and you're bringing in children and somebody else is paying for their bills until you have four kids and then you're getting cut off for the first time. We need to do a better job as a community to teach our kids a, a financial responsibility. And you, yeah, it's interesting. I have a teenage daughter and I see that, that she enjoys shopping. And for me, like I look at it as a parent and I'm like, this is such a dangerous thing that our teenage, and I, like I get it, right? Like they're from girls and they're good girls and there's not that much to do, but it's such a dangerous habit to get into to go shopping as a pastime because that we're raising them to do two things either you know they'll get older they'll get married whatever and then they'll still want to go shopping for recreation and they'll go shopping for recreation and they'll never have learned to budget or to do it and then they can get themselves into debt or we're raising them and then suddenly they're gonna have to put the brakes on they're gonna feel deprived right like i think what you're saying is, is a really good point like this this conversation about shopping shouldn't happen when they're married right it has to happen when they're 13 14 15 we have to be talking to them about it then right ahead of time because the habits that a lot of our young couples or whatever are doing start when they're much younger. And it's the same thing with kids, not just about, you know, pregnancy and a birth. It's, it's, this is a human being that you're responsible for. I might be wrong on this, but my understanding is that the priority in Judaism is a healthy family. And, and we, we need to teach that to our parents and to our, our kids. The priority is that your family has to be healthy. And what do you need to put into place in order to have a healthy family? And I do think as a community, we, we do sort of have a responsibility towards each other. But I think that's a different, a different topic and a different thing. But like we do sort of have some sort of communal responsibility towards each other. But you're right. Like if we have if we failed our kids on their education and then they find themselves in a situation where they have never learned budgeting or financial skills or investment skills or any of these things or what it really means to have a kid then then yeah i mean we have to step in as a community and sort of carry that load we have to try and do better for the next generation 
And the secular world doesn't do a great job at it either. The only difference is they're not being encouraged to get married young and have children and big families at such a young age or in general. By the time you have secular people getting married, they're paying for their own weddings. That's just the clarification. It's not like we're the only ones who haven't figured this out. Yeah. 18, 19, 20-year-olds don't have to necessarily be able to pay mortgage and tuition for three children. But that's sort of where we fall into. So thank you so much for this conversation, for being open to having it. I wish you you know, and thank you for volunteering yourself for this conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's, it, it was good to have a conversation to talk about these things. So thank you. If you would like to reach out to this guest and continue this conversation with her, please do contact me. If you have a story you'd like to share on this podcast that you feel will fit this podcast, please do reach out as well. If you or anyone you know who needs podcasting help or help with launching a podcast or monetizing a podcast, please do send them my way. And I hope you have a wonderful week. See you next time.